Hey, podcast listeners. Have you noticed that we don't shy away from tough conversations and that we cover just about every topic you can think of? That's because as a nonprofit independent media outlet, Bitch Media is entirely supported by thousands of folks like you, not some big corporation or a deep-pocketed donor with a hidden agenda. If you love tuning in each week, please pitch in at bitchmedia.org podcast. And be sure to mention propaganda or backtalk when you donate. We'll read some of our listener love on the air during the next shows. Thanks so much. Welcome to Back Talk. <laughs> I'm Amy Lamb, the associate editor. And this week, I've been trying to convince uh, Kate, who's our director of strategic engagement, strategic engagement, um, that we should take more corporate sponsorship, <laughs> which is actually completely against Bitch's mission because we got some random email from like Coca-Cola saying they had an open budget and they wanted to sponsor us because we're having like the May drive right now. Yeah, we're having a big fundraising right. drive in May. And we're, we're, you know, a reader listener supported nonprofit. Yes. So we don't take corporate <laughs> money. We don't. But I was like... Except for, I guess you're like the <laughs> mole now. Well, she was like, we don't want dirty s- sugar money. And then I said, well, what about dirty salt money? Because I love salt and I love potato chips. So I was like, if Lay's ever calls us and I get the phone call, watch out. Kate's going to be really mad at me. So that's what I've been doing this week as a you're, you're going to rebrand the magazine as Frito-Lay's Presents, presents. Bitch Magazine. And it's going to be delicious. Um, all right. I'm Sarah Merck. I'm the online editor of Bitch. Um, <laughs> you're like distracted because you're thinking about how delicious it's going to be. Um, and that means this week I've been spending way too much time in the weird world of uh, Wikipedia entries about the TV show Gotham, mm. the Fox drama. We just ran an article today about um, sort of some of the power dynamics in that show and the gender dynamics in that show. And it involved me as an editor having to like read everything on the Wikipedia to figure out like who are these people and what are they doing exactly. So <laughs> if you have any Gotham plot detail questions, come to me. I've I've read the Wikipedia <laughs> front to back. Uh, and so we start off each episode by talking about like one of our favorite pop culture moments. Mm-hmm. What's what are you thinking about, Sarah? Um, this week, my favorite thing that happened in pop culture was on Twitter. There's this hashtag called Tall Girl Twitter. <laughs> And you can't see it on the radio, but I am very tall. I'm six feet tall. Very, very tall. And I don't often like talk about my body or tallness. And so um, this was a cool space where you can click on this hashtag and you can see all these other women talking about being super tall and photos of themselves being tall. And it just felt like really sweet. I don't really, I don't talk about my body that much. I don't really have a lot of space or places that I make to talk about tallness. So this was a really like sweet corner of the internet that I spent some time in this week, just reading about other girls being happy and excited about being tall. Rad. Uh, my pop culture moment of the week is the end of the Portland Trailblazer season because they lost uh, their last game last night. I'm too. sorry. I mean. <laughs> it's okay. It was a valiant effort and uh, they actually went way farther than I think a lot of their fans thought they would. Um, so now it's time for me to like arbitrarily like choose another team to root for and like of course Steph Curry and the Warriors are doing such an amazing job but it's kind of not fun to root for a team that you you kind of know will win so I'm actually rooting for the Raptors because um 
Drake is always at every game. <laughs> You're like, I'm rooting for Drake's favorite team. <laughs> and it's just fun to see Drake like be a basketball nerd, uh, you know, sitting courtside and getting up with his like goatee and everything. Or not his goatee, it's like his big beard. Um, so even though the the, Ra- the Raptors have a mascot, which is a Raptor, I think that Drake... Drake is like their unofficial mascot and I'm ready to see him at the NBA finals. <laughs> I'm ready to see him bust out some mascot moves on the dance on like the, on the NBA floor like yeah. just start dancing and be great. I mean me. Yeah, I think a lot of us are so. <laughs> Yay, go Raptors. Also they're Canadian. So <laughs> that would be amazing. I would love to see a Canadian team win um, the NBA championships, but not if Steph Curry has his way. <sighs> First topic is lemonade. We're revisiting lemonade because we never left lemonade. (laughs) We did talk about lemonade on this. This is Beyonce's new visual album. Uh, We did talk about on Back Talk last time, but new developments, new thoughts. (laughs) News alert! Feminist news alert! (laughs) Um, Well, Bell Hooks has um, commented on lemonade, so we couldn't not talk about lemonade because, like, one of our most like foremost uh, feminist thinkers wrote a piece about it on her website uh, called Moving Beyond Pain. And it's a it's it's a critique of Lemonade and it kind of riled up a lot of feminists, uh, particularly black feminists, feminists of color. And um, I got a chance to talk about it with bitch contributor Zoe Samudzi, a super smart woman. I'm so glad to be able to chat with her about it. Let's listen into your conversation. So I'm super excited that we're going to be talking to Zoe Samudzi, who is a bitch contributor, writer, and a um, incoming doctoral student in sociology um, this fall. And hi, Zoe. Hi. <laughs> I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I'm so excited to talk to you as well. Yeah. So um, uh, the reason why I want to talk to you is because I saw you like write some amazing fire tweets about... <laughs> Uh, Bell Hooks, uh, Bell Hooks's new piece, Moving Beyond Pain, and it's uh, Hooks's criticism and critique of uh, Beyonce's Lemonade. And so, for those of like our listeners who haven't read the piece, um, I just want to do like a really quick summary of it. It's it's basically Bell Hooks like deconstructing what lemonade is and isn't. And um, so I. I I like got three big takeaways from it, um, mm-hmm. and I guess we could just talk about it. But I just my big takeaways was that like Hooks is like questioning, um, l- like the value of lemonade as as a piece of art produced under capitalism because Bell Hooks is major anti capitalist. Well, uh, <laughs> theoretically, right? <laughs> right. Um, another piece that I got from it was that. Um, like Hooks is really critiquing, um, like Beyonce's, like imagining of like well, the black female body, uh, but then also saying like, well, it's been done before by the likes of like Carrie Mae Weems or Julie Dash, uh, so maybe uh, also kind of like delegitimizing Beyonce's work because other women have done it previously, and then the, the third big takeaway I, I got from it was that um, a critique of Lemonade is that like the violence and victimhood in the piece doesn't like break down systems of oppression. Right. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what I got from her as well. But I have a lot of problems with that being the nature of her critique, I think. Yes. Tell me more. I mean, okay. So for starters, the whole premise of moving beyond pain, right? So she says something about how lemonade 
criti- uh, she criticizes the failure of Lemonade to transcend, quote, conventional stereotypical frameworks where the black woman is always the victim. Like, I completely agree that, yes, it's a very old trope, but given the different ways in which traumas are reproduced and traumas are intergenerationally transferred is the examination of that pain, not something that's still important. And like, I feel like a lot of what black women's art does is to examine the pain and to navigate the pain and figure out ways that we can cope from the pain. And until we have successfully coped, I don't think that it makes sense to try to force us to move away from trying to have conversations about it and to represent ourselves in in ways that engage that particular kind of like race and gendered pain. Right. I think, I feel like a big, like the feeling of the piece is that um, like Hooks doesn't want Beyonce to like use that pain as a commodity because at the, at the crux of it, there's like this huge criticism that like Beyonce is a capitalist and Beyonce is making money. But then at, like at the very beginning of the piece, the intro, um, Hooks herself says that, like, you know, uh, as a grown, quote, as a grown black woman who believes in the manifesto, girl, get your money straight. My first response to Beyonce's visual album was, wow, this is the business of capitalist money making at its best. So I'm confused because it's like a mixed message of, like, girl, go get your money. But wow, you're really getting your money. So, <laughs> But I, I feel like I feel like there's a particular critique of the way that Beyonce goes about making her money. And I think that it kind of has to do with the way that she utilizes her sexual agency and her sexuality as a means of making money. So I am not for sure on where where Bell Hook stands on sex work, but I would assume that she would not be a particular fan of sex work because of the way that she would see it as, you know, for women who participate in it, she would be seeing it as women self-objectifying or commodifying themselves within capitalism. Yeah, I feel like that's like a big part of her like critique of a lot of pop stars in particular. Like she talks about that a lot yeah. in her work. Yeah. But is it not important because of the ways that black women's bodies have been historically commodified? Um, is it not Im- important to create a sexual politic for black women? Like you have Audre Lorde's uses of the erotic and you have her interrogation of what it means to be a black woman and to be a sexual agent. And I think that I think that having an understanding of that of that politic is really crucial. You know what's weird about I I think in in reading like Hooks's critique of this is that like I, a lot I think for a lot of feminists of color in particular for I'm I'm sure for like black feminists is that you know we all look up to Bell Hooks but then when something like this comes out we're just like thinking you know, it's, it's like a, one of those, maybe your faves are problematic thing, you know, it's like, <laughs> you taught us so much, but then there's like this piece now where I'm, I'm not agreeing with you and I don't know how to feel about this. I think for me, it comes, there's two things kind of at play here. The first thing is that I've learned to not put my favorite thinkers on a pedestal because it's pretty much inevitable that they'll say something that's disappointing. And they will, of course, say that because they're humans and humans are not in, excuse me, infallible. But then at the same time, Bell Hooks has been saying some kind of questionable things for some time. Um, you know, in the context of like heterosexual relationships, for example, and the emotional kind of labor that women are expected to play in relationship to men. Um, 
So her response to lemonade is not the first thing that has made me have pretty tremendous pause. And, um, yeah, unfortunately. So I, (laughs) it's, I mean, in looking at the way that she is, she's good friends with Gloria Steinem. And so this is what the way that she's constructing this criticism is not super surprising to me because she's very much a prob a product of the of a femphobic politic of the second wave. Maybe femphobic is the wrong word, um, but this kind of femantagonism, right? Because of everything and because of all the artificiality that like high femininity represents in a lot of ways. So as much as I wanted to be disappointed, like I just can't be disappointed with her anymore. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You actually brought up a good point because I had read uh, Janet Janet Mock's response to Bell Hook's response. Mm -hmm. And and Janet Mock does, I think she does use the word femphobic, right? In her piece. Um, And she kind of calls out how Hook's like does pull out pieces of uh, Beyonce's work and, and tears down Beyonce's work because she's so femme. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, and then it makes us, like, those of us who, like, embrace our feminists um, feel as if, like, we're bad feminists, if we're, you know. I mean, to be honest, that's how I learned to be a feminist, right? Mm-hmm. So my first introduction to feminism was, like, these Liberation Now books that came out of the 70s because that kind of that particular militancy was something that was really important to me when I first was getting into feminism, I think when I was like 16. But, and, and so in order to be in line with that, I very deliberately rejected certain things that I knew that I liked because I felt that that would enable me to kind of transcend this, this patriarchal oppression that as, as I understood it, but why can like, I'm just I'm just failing to understand when we're on one hand calling for women to have agency in their presentation, in the way that they carry themselves, in the way that they navigate systems. But at the same time, we're calling certain ways of presenting artificial and we're decrying it for being, quote, slaves to the patriarchy, which is a super common thing that I was reading when I was reading second wave feminism. And we can't make space for a kind of multiplicity of of black womanhoods of presentations. There's just like really big sweeping like statements like that in this very short 1500 word piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes you're reading it and you're just thinking like, 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 man, bell hooks, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. I'm just, when the way she's just like lemonade is all about the body and the body is commodity. And I'm, and I'm just like, but that's important. I think I think that there are a lot of things to be desired in the certain kinds of bodies that get represented. There are legitimate critiques to be had about the body politics that are represented in Lemonade and the kinds of bodies that are portrayed. And Ashley Shackelford has a really great piece about fat femme representation. There are all kinds of bodies and womanhoods that are not represented. And I think that there are some really legitimate critiques in that regard. But I don't think that it's fair to to understate the importance of representing Black women's bodies in kind of agentic and powerful artistic ways. Like, 
I'm just like if the problem is the is, is if the problem is the oversaturation of black paint in art, why is she not going after all of the black artists in the art world? Like why this very single minded focus on Beyonce? That's what I'm not understanding. And it's not to say that Beyonce is not deserving of critique because no person should be placed on a pedestal and and deified to the point where no one, they're untouchable. But I I'm just there's a kind of venom and a kind of almost a kind of vendetta that I just really am not understanding. This piece in particular kind of like uh, reminds us, like like you had said earlier, that like not just not just with Beyonce, but also with Bell Hooks, that like we can have our heroes, but we also need to remove them from our pedestals and 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 allow ourselves to be critical of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that it's that's really healthy for the movement, and that's really healthy for like. Um, how we all grow, like not just individually, but like as a movement, as feminists. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Zoe. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. That was a really interesting conversation. Thanks for sharing it, Amy. Mm-hmm. Um, what's is, is that the end of the Lemonade News or is there anything else going on? Uh, I feel like Bell Hooks was on the internet and was reading all of uh, the feedback to her feedback. And so Bell Hooks decided to write a follow-up piece where she pretty much says, you know, it's okay for me to critique Beyonce and also appreciate Beyonce. Mm-hmm. I think it was kind of like Hoax's way of being like, yo, you guys, like, I get it. <laughs> like, you're not you're not into my feedback, but also, like, we need feedback to, when we're talking about the movement mm-hmm. and um, and feminism at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always, that's always difficult, hearing criticism or hearing people talk about something that you re- hold really close and personal is, of course, going to make people uh, upset. I get that. All right. The next thing we're going to talk about on our show is a controversy that came up this week uh, involving the indie electro pop duo Yacht, which is one of my favorite bands. Um, and we featured Yacht's music on the show on Backtalk, both on Backtalk and Propaganda a couple times. This is a electro pop duo that's now based in Los Angeles. And it's a woman named Claire Evans and a guy named Jonah Beckholt. Um, and they make really sort of like original avant-garde pop music. Here's what it sounds like. So this week, Yacht um, really screwed up. <laughs> they, they posted, um, this whole thing started out with, they posted something on their Facebook page um, saying, it was like this long statement about how they had made a sex tape, because they're also a romantic couple in addition to being a musical couple. They had made a sex tape and it had been uh, stolen and leaked online and that it was humiliating and that they were really angry about it and that their trust had really been violated. And uh, hundreds of fans responded to this with like real sincere and genuine empathy commenting on that post. I mean, there's hundreds of comments saying like, like, I'm really sorry for you guys. That really sucks that they've like violated you in that way. And like, you're so brave for sharing this with us. And then Yacht followed up a few hours later by posting and saying, hey, so this video is already out there. We're going to try and reclaim it and like own our image by selling it on our website like if you want to come if you want to see this video like at least donate to us and posted a link to a website that then didn't actually work you couldn't actually go pay them any money there but and then a few hours later it was revealed that this thing was whole was all actually a whole a, a hoax it was a stunt uh jezebel first reported this anna merlin who works there 
uh, reported that this was actually a PR stunt that they've been planning for months to leak a sex tape and then pretend that it was stolen um, to promote a new music video that they made. And the reaction to this was swift and critical of people saying, that's that's terrible. That's actually really exploitive because um, what they're doing here is playing the is playing the victim. You know, is they're saying we were victimized here, and uh, and people respond to that in a really empathetic and sincere way, and then the man like pulls the rug out from under them and says, "Ha, no, we're kind of joking," and they posted a statement on their website. Um, that's now been removed, that said uh, that this all was like a social commentary. This was kind of an art project uh, criticizing and exploring clickbait culture, celebrity sex tapes, and celebrity culture. So this was supposed to be like an avant-garde art project, but it really just misses the mark. And uh, this is something that, the, the reason this misses the mark is is there's a lot of reasons why, but the biggest one is that there are actual victims of situations like this, that stealing somebody's images or stealing somebody's um, videos and putting them online without their consent is something that happens to actual people, predominantly women, around the world every day. And those victims of the actual crime have a really hard time getting people to believe them, getting people to take them seriously, and getting any kind of justice from that situation. It's really hard to get those images removed once they're up there. And those people face real-world harassment and criticism rampantly. And there has been a couple people who have been victims of of that kind of stealing and, and non-consensual posting, which is often called revenge porn. That whole dynamic is called revenge porn, um, who have done what Yacht said they were doing, which is reclaim or try to take ownership of their images by posting their own um, photos of themselves. So there was a Danish journalist who did this a couple years ago who she had some naked images of her were stolen, posted online, and for four years she like endured harassment from people saying like, oh, I've seen your photos, I'm going to send them to everybody you know. Really terrible stuff. So she staged like a sexy, semi-nude photo shoot of herself and put those photos out online herself after four years as sort of a way to cope with this and deal with it and try to reclaim it. Um, and so in in her, for somebody who's actually a victim of this, putting your images out there is subversive. For somebody who is pretending to be a victim and is actually doing this as a publicity stunt to get attention for an album or a song, this is exploitive. And it's especially, I mean, for me, I've been a fan of Yacht for uh, at least 10 years, and they hold a really special place in my heart as a band. Uh, Both the creators are really known for being generous and sincere. And that's like why people like their music is not just because it's fun to dance to, but like the ethos of the band is really about sincerity and like I remember I went to go see Yacht back when it was just Jonah in 2006 or so and it was just him with like a laptop and he mixed music with a PowerPoint presentation and was like dancing around totally weird and his weirdness made me feel okay also being weird you know so it's one of the first shows that I actually like danced at and expressed myself and felt good about my body being at and so I've seen them probably six times perform since then. And what really resonates about the band is that they, um, you know, they're they're empathetic with their fans and they take time to talk to people and they are OK with being different and weird and appreciate that. And so this felt this stunt felt like like kind of a, a betrayal, it felt definitely like a betrayal of fans who are up for meeting them when they're sincere and then having them be like, ha ha. We were pranking you. Right. So. I mean, I, I'm not a fan at all <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Um, but 
I, I, in watching this unfold, I think they really miscalculated um, what they feel like um, their the impact of their work would be mm-hmm. in in terms of like um, what like the outcome they thought this like experiment or prank would be like, mm-hmm. and and also in a way they they miscalculated. Um, how they thought they could work the press in a way because they they weren't the ones that they weren't the first ones to say oh this is a joke like Mm -hmm. like jezebel broke that Mm -hmm. because they had set press releases to um certain media outlets and certain other like really well-known celebrities to say oh we're gonna do this hoax or whatever um and when we do do this hoax like we need you to say oh we saw the tape and it's like this or this happened in this tape so to get more eyeballs to it um and they sent it to an an editor at jezebel and they and um they were like no we're not going to do this Uh um and it was just a really misguided thing to the point where like their own pr firm had a release like a they tweeted a statement saying like we knew about this we thought it was a terrible idea but they did it anyway and when they finally did um like admit to doing it like their first statement post everybody knowing it was really tone deaf yeah it, it was really like people are calling this revenge porn and that's totally yeah that wasn't our for. intention yeah. yeah and then they the next day this all this happened like super fast mm-hmm. over the course of like 24 hours and the internet kind of exploded being like some people were like what is yacht yeah. what is this band right like so <laughs> and people who are like longtime fans like me are like oh god like yeah. what is this what is happening and then the next day, they removed their original statement saying, like, this was an art project and put up one that was really, uh, I feel like, sincere apology saying, like, first off, we're very sorry and we totally screwed up and we're mad at We, we understand if you're mad at us because we're mad at us, too. And we really didn't think this through. And it's really dumb. So I feel like, I mean, this is a wound that's going to take a while to heal. And is always going to be something that kind of like leaves a bad taste in your mouth and is is I mean worst case scenario it uh is is makes makes the culture worse for people who are actual victims of this crime like I could see if if this happens to another celebrity in another year mm-hmm. and there's something is actually stolen and put online I hope that the reaction isn't oh maybe this is a hoax mm-hmm. like that one indie band you know right so I hope that doesn't happen, um, but it totally could. But at least they have um, heard people's criticisms and taken them to heart and have really apologized and said, we're going to take a step back and and really think about how we screwed this up, which I think that's the least you can do and what you should do in this case. Okay, at the end of the show, we talk about one thing we've watched, one thing we're reading, and one thing we're listening to. And I can kick it off by talking about a show, a web series that I've watched. It's called Anarchly, and it's a web series um, made by South Asian women based out of Toronto, following the title character Anarchly, and um, kind of like um, her recovering after this really awful heartbreak. the The first episode opens with her like crying with her friends because um, she had been in a relationship for, for I think like seven years with somebody and had been engaged with that person for another two years, and they broke up with her and she thought that like she had found the one. And so it's about really about her as a South Asian woman and like all of her friends who are brown, um, uh, like navigating this like new world for her, like being single, dating, um, getting drunk, making mistakes, like finding, meeting other people. That sounds really fun. Yeah. It, it, and it's, and it's smart and, and, um, and it's made by like brown women, like with brown women, like speaking to brown women. And it's a representation that we 
don't see in mainstream media. Um, we have a piece about it written by a contributor, Rumnik Nanar. It's called Web Series Anarchically Centers on Brown Love, Heartbreak, and Friendship. And it's a Q&A with the writer and the woman who stars as Anarchically. So check it out. And how do you spell anarchically if people want to look it up? You can you can find it on YouTube, right? Yes, it's on it's a it's a series on YouTube, and they just wrapped up their second season, and it gets like the production gets better, the writing gets better as the seasons go on, as the season, as the show goes on. So it's definitely worth checking out. And the episodes aren't too long, so it's not like so much time invested in it. And you spell anarchically, A N A R K A L I. Cool. Look it up on YouTube or yes. at bitchmedia.org. <laughs> Um, I want to share one thing I read this week, which uh, everyone's going to be jealous about because the book (laughs) is coming out in a few weeks. Um, It's a memoir by the writer Lindy West. Mm. And she has this book that just that is coming out, I think, next week called Shrill. And Lindy West, if you don't know her work, is like an amazing feminist writer who writes on a whole bunch of different topics. Um, Body image, body positivity, fat positivity, um, and dealing with online harassment. She had a, a really well-known piece on This American Life about confronting her number one internet troll. And it was like really beautiful, um, as well as all kinds of social justice issues. Um, and her memoir is called Shrill. And what I love about it is just that it's really, really funny. Like it's a really funny feminist book. And it feels like, you know, there's kind of like a there's always a trade-off for me of like, oh, do I want to read a book about like serious issues or do I want to read something that's really fun? And this is both, where it deals with uh, really Im- like issues that are really core to people's beings and identity, and it's hilarious. So check it out. Shrill. It hits shelves next week by Lindy West. Yay! For our last song, before I talk about the last song, mm-hmm. now I feel kind of bad that I was saying we would take Frito-Lay money, and I don't, <laughs> and I don't want Kate to be mad at me. <laughs> so like, Are you going to recant <laughs> your previous statement? <laughs> you can send bags of chips to the bitch offices um so that we don't have to take frito-lay money but um i feel like you've i feel like you've i feel like your narrative arc over the course of this episode has really come around to a good conclusion also i don't want keep to be mad at me so we're having a campaign drive right now and we have like an enormous goal to like keep bitch afloat right to support independent feminist media um go to bitchmedia.org and send us snacks. Yeah. <laughs> I just want Kate to hear me say that I appreciate Kate's work. And um, and she's better than a Frito-Lay overlord. Yeah. And sometimes she actually buys snacks for me like, and shares it with the office. So now I feel bad. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad you've, ab- you've been able to close this chapter. <laughs> Sarah's like, don't, don't pitch right now. But I can't help it, okay? Okay. So let's close out the show with um, a song from a band called Bonbon. Bonbon? Uh, B-O-N, B-O-M? B-O-M, B-O-N. B-O-M, B-O-N. Yes. Bonbon. Bonbon, yes. Bonbon. It means marshmallow in Spanish. Learned That's the cutest here. thing I've ever heard. Yes, bonbon. super adorable. Um, they're a three-piece band from... San Pedro, California. Uh, I don't think that's like the correct pronunciation of it, but like uh, growing up in LA, we just called it San Pedro. I'm sure oh, I call it San Pedro. Yeah, but I think people who like the kids in the punk scene in San Pedro call it San Pedro, so I just called it San, San Pedro. Pedro. Yeah, it's the worst. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
they're a great band. They play really fun, uh, mostly in- instrumental surf rock, and they've been doing it for a long time. And um, later this year, they're going to go on uh, a tour in Japan. So super happy for them. Where they're they'll play a show with like the infamous five six seven eights. Oh, yes. Cool. So I'm way excited for them. Uh, <laughs> but I really want to pay, play one of their new tracks that they released in support of going on tour. It's called Shikanista, and uh, it's such a groovy track, and it's just them playing their, you know, their signature surf rock while belting out Shikanista Feminista. Can we just say their name a couple more times? Yeah. Bonbon. 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 Thanks for listening and supporting independent feminist media. Bonbon. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Back Talk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck and Amy Lamb from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. Bitch Media is a reader and listener supported feminist nonprofit. If you want to support the show and our work, please head over to bitchmedia.org and donate.